Hello. Good morning, Carlo. Good morning, Vince. <laughs> Um, okay. And um, obviously, with us fast approaching the end of 2011, um, it's been a tumultuous year. What do you think lies ahead in 2012? Um, well, uh, I'm um, pessimistic but optimistic at the same time. Uh, really, I think the first half of the year certainly uh, uh, may be more of the same uh, that we've seen this year, but possibly even worse, escalating in other words, both on the economic front and the uh, social unrest uh, front. Uh, I think we're going to see more and more of that because uh, what we have to realise is that a lot of the austerity measures that have been put in place uh, by the government, uh, Italy being the last one a couple of days ago, um, they haven't got through yet. I mean, they, they, a lot of the, those measures don't actually impact people's lives until uh, a good few months' uh, time. So, um, you know, the, the misery, if you like, the misery index is going to go up um, you know, in the early part of next year, and I, that will inevitably uh, cause more uh, social unrest and, and uh, uh, you know, a more pessimistic feeling uh, mm. in the business uh, arena. Um, having said that, um, I do think that by the end of the year, um, uh, things, certain uh, decisions that have been made recently, such as austerity packages, such as addressing um, uh, regulations uh, in certain areas of the banking industry and the financial services, not enough yet, but it's, it's beginning. It's, uh, uh, you know, they started to curb some bankers' bonuses in certain uh, uh, countries and this sort of thing. Uh, and a lot of the things that actually Europe uh, is talking about, you know, uh, Sarkozy and Merkel uh, and the European Union, they're starting to say some very solid uh, fundamental changes to be put in place over the next few years, which means that we will, uh, you know, be doing the right things for a change uh, and coming out of this recession, a good chance of being able to come out of the recession in a few years' time. Okay. So we're, we're reversing, in other words. That's why I'm optimistic. I'm starting to see the signs uh, of, of some good decisions being made. Okay. Um, now, obviously, uh, we were talking about uh, support, help, new ideas for people that will need this. And uh, we're looking at your ideas to uh, expand the club initially throughout the whole of the Costa Blanca and then through associate clubs all around the expat coastal areas of Spain. So uh, what um, progress have you made so far? Uh, well, very good, actually. I mean, the Argento Club is, is more of a concept, in, in a sense, than just a, 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 an individual club uh, with, with some members. Uh, it, so that's why we're expanding it uh, uh, in the Costa Blanca. I was speaking with uh, a very good networking group uh, in the Altea area, actually, your sort of area, yeah. um, a few days ago. And they're very... Uh, um, in, you know they're, they're very supportive and they certainly are thinking along the same lines uh, as we are uh, in terms of getting the business community together and and in fact supporting uh, people through what could be as we've just said uh, a difficult uh, uh, next year um, and uh, giving as much support and help to people with their businesses their financial decisions their uh, their, their ways of, of coping with shall we say um, living on less money um, and um, you know any way that life can be made uh, uh, much more palatable when all around us seems to be getting worse so yes. that's the concept and uh, we're starting to achieve it
Okay, now we, we um, were talking before the technolo technology blip about the work of uh, David Cameron and what happened in the new Eurozone Treaty. Um, you know, the cold shoulder, we've seen that on the TV ad nauseum now. So what really do you think was going on and did he, did, did he really do the right thing for the UK? Um, I don't think he did, in actual fact, because uh, you know the, the eurozone is such an important trading partner for us. You don't you don't uh, upset them unnecessarily. Um, uh, I don't think he had any hope in getting the concessions uh, for the um, UK financial industry, you know, the City of London, um, uh, from out of Europe, because really it came across quite strongly that Europe blame to a large part the City of London um, and their involvement in the financial derivatives sector, the, uh, the toxic mortgage debacle and so forth, for bringing on a a lot of the financial uh, problems that we, we're facing at the moment. So uh, they're hardly going to, uh, you know, give them concessions for doing those those bad things. Um, and in actual fact, I think it may backfire in some sense. Now that, you know, the UK has had been a little bit pushed out and isolated, I think that may be a, a hidden agenda uh, so that if there is severe financial fallout from the City of London having to finally come to terms with the derivatives problems that they have, um, Europe doesn't want to be held, you know, uh, paying for part of that bill or being involved in any way uh, more than it has to be. So uh, I think they're quite happy to push the UK and their problems away a little bit more rather than welcome them more into the fold um, and assume indirectly a bit more uh, responsibility for, for all of those problems. I'm going, off I'm going off strip just a little bit because I want to go back to something we did discuss before, which, which is, which to me is important, um, and it's the irresponsibility of some of these bankers and and people in the city to take on board uh, toxic waste or, or toxic debt, um, which really I don't think anybody I don't think anybody expects to be paid back now. Well, that's right, uh, and this is why I say when this derivatives uh, debacle finally un un you know, unwinds, uh, you know, there's going to be enormous costs involved and enormous write-downs and enormous uh, damage, financial damage to these institutions, which will filter through to the nations. I mean, you know, if, uh, rather than saying that the, the City of London is a, you know, the jewel in the crown for the UK, of course, in principle, it should be. It's one of the the major financial centres of the world but they did too many bad things um, or irresponsible things shall we say uh, over the last uh, five years or so um, and uh, that's what's caused these toxic assets to be on their balance sheets uh, which means that that's a tremendous uh, skeleton in the cupboard which has to be addressed at some point so yes the city of London will continue to uh, uh, you know turn over all of this business which is legitimate business and and and, and absolutely vital for the for the UK economy, for the tax revenues for the UK economy, etc. But all the bad stuff still has to be addressed, and that is 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 a very bad problem that could prolong the UK's uh, recession far more than than other countries who don't have that skeleton in the cupboard. Do, do you think that um, the 
the Conservative Party's interest, for example, in the uh, the, the city of Westminster, uh, have begun to interfere uh, quite dramatically with the the runnings of the UK economy, if you like, when it's trying to interact with Europe. That's a very good point. Uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think the, the UK government is starting to, to, to get into bed, shall we say, with the financial industry in, in the UK uh, to, to too much of a degree. And they're following in the footsteps, of course, of course the US. I mean, you know, we've, it's, it's quite obvious how interlinked Wall Street and uh, Washington are these days. Yeah. Uh, and is that a good thing for democracy? Is that a good thing for, uh, you know, uh, the... Uh, the if efficient running of uh, a country for the benefit of all, uh, I don't think it is because there's too many vested interests, there's too many lobbyists, there's too many commercial interests involved, um, and that inevitably is not a good thing when when the state gets too involved in uh, in the financial side of things. Yeah. Now I, I remember when I was studying uh, in, in the economics uh, of the 1932s. Uh, or the, the 1930s in particular, and this hyperinflation, they didn't have the influ influence of the internet as we have in today. Um, w would it have an effect? And do you think really this hyperinflation is the big, really the big danger? Uh, I think it is a big danger because um, I, I think it can be avoided, um, but. What, from where I'm standing, I don't see uh, governments uh, in the West taking the right measures now. Uh, and certainly after the 2008 warning that we had, I mean, that was a severe warning. We came to the brink uh, and we had a chance to examine what went wrong and start putting it right financially uh, and in lots of other ways. Um, have we done that? No, I don't see that we have. Uh, certainly not in large enough measure to really avoid um, getting further into trouble, which we seem to all, you know, financially, uh, the banking system is probably, um, you know, not repaired. Um, and still committing, uh, you know, the, the errors that got them into the 2008 mess anyway. Governments are accelerating their money printing and their flooding uh, of the economy with liquidity in, in a vain attempt to pump the economy back up again uh, when they should be, uh, you know, really uh, implementing sensible austerity measures, cutting down in, in, in government departments and in every way that they can to save money and reduce the deficit. Uh, and if this had been started properly three years ago, um, you know, we'd be in a much better place now than we are. Uh, we're not in a good place. Uh, it's still not being done fast enough. And therefore, I don't think we can avoid the pain now. We could have done if they just started three years ago. But now I think, unfortunately, and this is why I'm pessimistic going forward in, in, in the immediate future, I do think all of us are going to see a reduction in our standard of living in terms of our income in terms of cost of living going up, uh, pressure is going to be put on the average Western household in a way that we're not used to. We're used to little, little, you know, re little uh, recessions or uh, a little pullbacks uh, that last a year or so. But something that may go on for five, seven, even ten years mm. is going to cause much uh, more misery for people. I think. Okay, I, I remember um, one economist was pointing out that the American production of oil plays a big part in all this, and in actual fact, there was one particular 
particular period when they shut down the, the oil production and that now is working its way as sort of a hiatus through the system. So do you see that that has been accurate and uh, how will energy um, give us a way out of re recession if it's going to do that? Uh, well, I'm sure there's a bit of manipulation going on in the oil industry, as same as, as in the stock markets and the financial industry. Uh, so that's short term. I, I'm looking more at the bigger picture, uh, and in the same way as I think uh, we've gone past the point of no return from the financial point of view and the economic point of view, so we are now going to suffer several years of, 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 of pain, as I call it. Uh, I think we've, we've effectively mishandled the energy uh, uh, sector as well in the sense that the scientists have, have been telling us about uh, global warming and everything else, but in those studies it's been made very apparent uh, that the um, oil um, that we're getting out of the ground and gas supplies are limited, um, and we actually have passed what the, uh, um, the scientists call peak oil. Uh, we've passed that point several years ago now which essentially means that even though there are still plenty of oil deposits uh, and more are being discovered every day, they are not as cost-effective. It's much more difficult to find them in the first place and to get at them in the second place because they're now, you know, thousands of feet under the ocean or they're in difficult terrain or in the, in, in the Arctic or whatever. So it's becoming much more expensive to extract the oil. Uh, shale gas, which was the great new hope, is starting to uh, lose its luster because they're finding that the first... Uh, uh, top level of deposits is easy to extract and quite cost effective but then it becomes you know quite expensive as are most of the uh, alternative energies that we've been um, uh, trying to get into wind power solar of course uh, wave energy geothermal uh, these sorts of things um, you know we've found that they are not very cost effective and, and uh, subject to you know ongoing maintenance and all this sort of stuff so um, we haven't found a good a viable placement for our oil and gas yet uh, and nuclear even though that would have been the real answer is obviously uh, a safety issue as has been very uh, much shown uh, by the Japanese incident last year mm -hmm. so you know we've got this 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 uh, problem that we are now getting into an era of much more expensive and much more limited oil and gas for everybody uh, and the world is growing at a, you know we've just passed a seven billion population so you know we're, we're talking about a, a growing demand mm. whereas cheap supply is, is starting to reduce very quickly uh, and we didn't start again on t making the right decisions early enough and putting enough uh, uh, you know uh, money and uh, investment into it to get these new technologies anywhere near capable of replacing the, di the diminishing oil uh, uh, problem uh, in the next few years so we have this next I would say five to ten year period where oil prices are bound to go up uh, there's going to be uh, limited supplies so we may even get interruptions of supply uh, or it may be more difficult for areas of the world to get supplies adequate supplies of energy uh, until all of the new exciting uh, and uh, obviously greener uh, energy sources uh, come on stream to a large enough degree to replace oil and gas so again 
we've got a problem with higher oil prices and scarcity and demand and the supply problems adding to our recessionary pressure on the economy keeping it down I mean you can't have a, a booming economy without adequate supplies of energy okay so h- how can people find out more about what financial and energy steps they should be taking right now and that they could uh, really help them locally over these difficult times ahead and uh, obviously what can Argento uh, do to help them um, battle this? Well, uh, first of all, uh, Argento, you know, in our articles on the website and in the newsletter, by the way, we've just published the first newsletter and it's been very well received, you'll find articles on these very subjects. I mean, these are the sorts of things that, you know, the Argento uh, uh, members, you know, are interested in, Um, you know, ways of increasing their income, ways of protecting their wealth, uh, ways of diversifying so they're not exposed uh, to uh, one particular area that may not do well in the next few years. Uh, and also uh, realise that even though we're all hoping for the best, it might be prudent to prepare for the worst in terms of um, you know, uh, energy supplies being uh, very expensive or electricity prices going through the roof uh, or you can't get your gas bottles, you have to queue up you know, once a week to get gas bottles in a few years' time. Who knows? Uh, you know, these things are now a, you know, a tangible threat. So um, you know, we're encouraging people to uh, get a little wind generator stuck on their roof. Um, uh, and we have people in the, you know, members of the Argento Club in all business areas. Uh, and, and, you know, we have people in, in uh, glass curtains, which I'll tell you about in a moment, uh, wind generation, solar panels, uh, all this sort of thing. I mean, what people don't realize is you don't just heat water with solar power. The ideal thing to do is have part of it, like a wind generator, that feeds a battery pack that you have in your storeroom. Uh, and that can be used to generate um, electricity for the house. Uh, I mean, you can't run high-power things on it unless you've got a massive system. But you can certainly run your computers, your TVs, your music, and things like that uh, on low-power uh, electricity generated from wind power. Uh, and that wouldn't be a bad thing to have in place if electricity prices uh, you know, start going through the roof in a year or two's time. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, the, 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 um, the, the, the actual direct uh, power from the sun, obviously here in Spain on the Costa Blanca, uh, we, you know, we're ideally positioned geographically to, to, to have a tremendous benefit from solar power. And what I've done in my house, I've put a, a, a whole wall of these glass curtains up. Uh, you know, I've glazed in my naya, which is my, like my garden room, uh, and the amount of heat on a winter's day that that uh, generates just from the sun coming through the, the, that, those thick pieces of glass um, uh, and warming that whole room is fantastic. So at four o'clock, I open the doors of the main house and all that heat floods in. I don't have to put central heating on until, you know, probably eight or nine at night. You know, it, it, it's uh, all these ways are ways that we're encouraging our club members. First of all, it's good business for everybody. Yeah. And secondly, it's a good measure to save people money and to be in the right uh, position to get through any shortages or any uh, you know ridiculous increases of prices going forward, you'll be in a far better position to get through this crisis uh, than most people because you've done, you've taken some precautions now and you've uh, you've planned ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's just about um, the topics. Um, we've got, or we've had this technological problem this morning, so I'm just hoping everything's going to go well. Um, and obviously, I look forward to seeing you on Tuesday. 
Yes, that'll be smashing. And um, uh, I can tell you a little bit more about things that are happening with the club uh, after Christmas, but uh, maybe we'll have another podcast then. Uh, and uh, I'll be able to um, tell you some of the events, the exciting events that are coming up for club members in the new year. Uh, and we'll be definitely having a, a rather large function in conjunction with two or three other business clubs down at the Alicante, the fabulous Alicante Business Centre uh, in the Alicante Port uh, area. Um, and um, that'll be an exciting event. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking to, uh, forward to some very good things for the club in the new year. So we, we'll probably do the next prod- podcast either in between Christmas and the new year or just straight into the new year. I think the first week of January will be the right uh, Yeah, time. I think, I think that, that we, we probably need to get over all this bad news <laughs> to start with. Carlo, no, don't, don't be too pessimistic, Vince. Uh, yeah. you're, you're like me, you can see a silver lining. But people do have to recognise that they, they should sensibly do a few things to get through this crisis uh, easier than some other folks who don't take yes. the right yeah. uh, decisions now. Yes. So uh, I'm, I'm optimistic, and I, and I see a few uh, things politically and economically starting to happen, particularly in Europe, uh, which means that uh, we're going to come out of this strong in a few years' time, and Europe is still going to be, uh, especially Spain, is still going to be a fabulous place to live. Lovely. Carlo, that's a very positive note. Uh, look forward to seeing you Tuesday, and uh, thanks for the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Carlo.